You're listening to What the Hell is Michael Jammin Talking About? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. I'm talking about creativity, I'm talking about writing, and I'm talking about reinventing yourself through the arts. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of What the Hell is Michael Jammin Talking About? Well, today I'm talking about, I'm answering questions. Phil, I'm back here with Phil Hudson. What hey up? Phil. What up? So you know why I do these webinars every three weeks and I try to answer questions during them and we don't have time to get to all of them. So I'm gonna be answering them right now. And Phil's gonna feed them to me. That's right. He's gonna baby bird them to me. He's gonna right. them, chew them up and dip them into my mouth. I'm gonna spit them <laughs> into your mouth, regurgitate them. Love it. Uh, yeah, but you guys know the thing. We've been doing this for two years now. So we've got plenty of, of these episodes in the can. Um, questions came up. We're going to dive into them. Again, some of these things that were asked, we're not going to go over, Michael, because we've talked about them a thousand times. Yeah. But there are always some of those things that are still being asked that worth talking about a bit. So we'll go through them. I've broken them up into kind of categories just to make Ooh. sure that it's easy to get through. Uh, just be warned, there are a couple questions about your course in this oh. one that I thought were worth bringing up. Uh, because that was a lot of the questions that came up in September. So let's do it. All right, let's dive into craft. Yeah. Michael, Dr. Adam wants to know, and these are YouTube YouTube usernames for anybody yes, interested. Doc yes, doctor. What can I help you with? Dr. Adam wants to know, how important is it for someone else to edit your writing? Edit? Well, you know, when we work in television, it's very collaborative. So your work will be rewritten often heavily by the showrunners or the writing staff. And so, but that's, it's a very collaborative process from the beginning. We all work together to break the story, meaning figuring out what the story is. And I teach us in the course how to break a story. And then you get notes on the outline, the first draft, the second draft, and the table draft, blah, blah, blah. So it's very collaborative. But if you're talking about, I don't know if the doctor is talking about some other kind of work other than television the good, writing. The good doctor. Yeah, I don't know, doctor. Yeah. I'm not really sure what you mean other than, I hope I answered your question. Yeah. I, to me, Either this, way, you're getting my bill. <laughs> yeah, I, you're billing the doctor. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, for me, this is a question more about, it's a common question I've seen with people starting out, which is getting mm -hmm. feedback or, you know, peer review, if you will, on things. Right. And, you know, I had a couple of friends over, you know, Mike mm -hmm. Rapp, who's a writer on Tacoma FD, and Kevin, who, you know, will feature on the podcast soon and is in the screenwriting course. He, they were over football, and we talked a lot about this kind of stuff in writer's room stuff, because they both work in writer room, writer's rooms, mm -hmm. and that kind of like getting notes from peers, even outside of the writer's room at our level, like Kevin and I have probably spent 40 or 50 hours on Zoom now giving each other notes on screenwriting. Right. That's right. incredibly helpful. But it's not so much that they're editing my writing. It's more of them talking about this didn't work for me or, hey, I got confused here. Right. And that's the feedback that you always talk about, which is the valid feedback is someone gets lost. They don't understand. It's not compelling. Yeah. It's not really like on page three, you have this ticky tack note where you, uh, you know, overcapitalized a word or something like that. Yeah, it could be editing could be not so much getting answers from someone, but just getting questions. And the questions could be if someone's reading your work, you could, you know, they could say, I don't what were you going for here? I didn't get what you were going for. And then you get to decide whether you want to clarify or keep it muddy and probably keeping it muddy is probably not the greatest choice. So you, you just want to make sure that your audience is 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 along for the ride. And I was going to do a post about this soon where I think part of your responsibility as a writer is to make sure you're holding your audience's hand and taking them along for the ride and not letting go because you don't want them to get lost. If they get lost, they're gonna find something else to do, so. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, and, it, and there, it's an interesting too when you work with people who know story structure and they've been in writer rooms and they're giving you these notes because there are times where like, this thing didn't make sense to me, but I understand what you're going for there. Or like, mm -hmm. I didn't, I would consider this doing a different way, but then you get a note from the other guy and they're like, I loved this part. And so that conflicting thing is like, okay, I can keep this one, that's a choice. But when they're both like, hey, I got really bogged down in this piece, that's a clear sign you gotta fix something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Thank you, doctor. Alex Kier, any tips on writing a story with multiple characters and stories like Love Actually? Oh, well, first of all, all stories have multiple characters, but you're talking about multiple storylines. And so it, it, Love Actually uh, is not that uncommon. I, you know, it, it's really, it's a fun movie. Uh, but 
it's not that uncommon. It's you're basically just having multiple storylines and all the storylines are united by this one thread, which is love during Christmas. <laughs> That's it. And there's different types of love. There's brotherly love, the way um, uh, uh, the, the rock star character had for his manager. What was that guy's name? Uh, but there's uh, brand new love, the way those the two characters who met on the porn set, you know, uh, that's like an awkward way of meeting. Then there's, you know, other romantic love between uh, an old, uh, a couple that's been married for a long time. And that was, you know, Emma Thompson's character with uh, Alan Rickman's character. Then there's love, uh, new love, um, upstairs, downstairs love, which was, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hugh, uh, Hugh Grant. Come on. Hugh Grant, thank you. Hugh Grant's character. I don't remember her name, but, you know, because she was the prime minister and she was the lowly uh, chambermaid or whatever she was, you know, supposed to be. And so and then you have another love. One character was uh, a love where they can't communicate. So it was Colin Firth's character. And I don't remember her name, but she didn't speak. She was the Portuguese maid and she didn't speak English. So you're just examining love over Christmas uh, between different types of love. And that's how they're, that's how they're all united. So that, that was the theme. And every story has to tell a version of that. Oh, then there's one other love. There was um, brand new love, young, like puppy love, right? There was a storyline between the kid and, um, and uh, what's his name? Uh, he was like the young kid and his stepfather, Liam Neeson. And he's trying to coach him into, wasn't that in Love Actually? Or is that something else? I've, I have never seen Love Actually. So oh, I you got to watch it. So, yeah. yeah, so those are my tips. So that, that, that's it. And you're just kind of integrating... You're just integrating these various stories. So each one can stand on its own. Each story can stand on its own. And you're probably, I don't if I had to time it, I would imagine that most stories, uh, oh, then there was, oh, so there was one other. There was unrequited love where the guy had a crush on his best friend's uh, new wife, Kira Knightley. And so all different kinds of love. And I, I imagine if you took a stopwatch and you timed out each storyline, you'd, you'd get to, they were all approximately the same amount of weight in terms of screen time. That's it. And if they weren't, I imagine it's because they some of the stories got cut down because they they didn't we weren't quite as compelling on camera as they were when in the script. So, yeah. uh, but I, I talk about this a lot. I should maybe I should do a breakdown in the course of Love Actually. Um, I talk I bet about people this. People love that. You, and yeah, you brought I mean, Love Actually up in stuff in the course. So I did. Okay, maybe I already talked about it. Well, um, I don't think you've I don't think you've done a case study. And for those who are unfamiliar, Michael has these awesome case studies in where you'll talk about, um, you know, movies you love like Amelie, and you'll talk about, um, you know, uh, I think you, you do Rocky, Ferris Bueller's Day yeah. Off, um, Castaway, just looking at films and TV shows and kind of breaking them down for story structure and talking about what works, what doesn't. And then you also hypothesize this, I imagine, got cut in editing because as yeah. a writer, it made it, there's a thing here that could be here or was missing. That kind yeah, of there's thing. a scene that I think that was missing from Love Actually that I imagine they shot, but they just cut it for the sake of time. Yeah, but uh, I think I think it would be worth doing that. I think the uh, members in the course would be pumped to give another case study. Yeah, but there you go. Take the course if you want to learn more. <laughs> but that, But that was, it's a good question. Them. You hit on something that you talk about in one of your webinars that we're going to be putting back into kind of the cycle because people really liked it, which is how do professional writers uh, create great characters? Yeah. And there's this nuance you talked about in the September webinar that mm. became a full webinar, and it's about how you pick your characters. So I'll yeah. leave that a bit nebulous. So anybody who's interested in that, come attend the next yeah, webinar. Yeah, please do because they're free. And the next one, I'm talking about char either character or yeah. story structure. So. so when this when this podcast drops, it'll be like tomorrow, literally yeah. tomorrow. That's going to be the podcast that we're talking the, the, the webinar we're talking about. And you can sign up at michaeljammon.com/slash/webinar to get notified. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Uh, Leanne Allen, how important important is it for the goal to be broadly relatable? Well. Um, it, it's very important. I mean, uh, the goals should be important to the, hugely important to the character and it should be something that we could all hopefully relate to. I mean, if the goal is redeeming yourself in your mother's eyes, that's very relatable. If the goal is, uh, I don't know, uh, if the goal is winning first prize in a first place in a contest, who cares? It has to be more than that. It has to be uh, more relatable than that. Like I don't like to be honest. I don't really care about winning contests. So 
I don't really care if your character wins a contest, but if winning the contest is a way for this person to finally feel good about themselves in their lives because it's validation because they're a loner and because no one's ever looked at them twice and winning this contest is a way of them being able to hang their head up high publicly, that's a relatable goal, understand. But winning a contest in itself, who cares? Yeah, and that, that's the value of what you teach in these webinars and on, in the course is the difference between plot and story. Yeah. Plot point would be they have to win this contest. The story is like, why? Why does this matter? To why? Them? How is, is so this going to affect them? You yeah. know, it's the internal need versus the external need. The, winning the contest is the external, but the internal is the reason we watch it. And that's the relatable piece. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Desmond Bailey, how do you not front load the pipe? Oh, well, boy, I talked about this a lot. I wonder why they're asking this. And just to clarify, like for for people, this will be helpful. These are questions directly coming from the chat in the webinar when people are asking questions and they're questions we didn't get to in the Q&A portion of the webinar. So this is something you had related to or they're they're citing something you said in the webinar, which was, um, you know, don't front load your pipe or don't be piping. So maybe explain pipe and exposition to people and... So pipe is what we call in the, in the business, we call it uh, exposition. So it's all the stuff that you need to know. It's the background story. Uh, it's the story before the story begins. And generally it's boring. Like it, pipe is just like uh, something you need to hear. It's not you wanna hear, you don't wanna hear it. You need to know to understand the characters. And so generally the faster you can get through the pipe, the better. Or you have to be artful about the pipe. So here's a bad version. You know, you'll watch a show and you'll say, Susie, you're my sister. Why would I ever, why would I ever do that with you? You're my sister. Like a character would never tell another character, you're my sister, right? That's pipe. And uh, because the character, she knows we're sisters. Frankie, we've been best friends for 18 years. Like Frankie knows this. And so you, there, you have to, there are ways to get through the uh, pipe artfully so that your audience doesn't feel like, ugh. Why do people don't talk like that? Often a way to do this is by introducing a third character. So when a third character comes on the screen, the person, who are you just talking to? Ah, oh, I'm just talking to my sister. Okay, now we know who that person is, right? Sis, anytime you hear some a character calling the character sis, ugh, you roll your eyes because I've never met anyone who called their sister sis. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, and I, t- I talk more about that in the course, but uh, I, I just happen to watch a, uh, I was sent a, uh, a short to potentially work with someone and they, they shot like a miniature um, uh, TV show. And uh, I, I guess it was sent to my agent or somebody. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of pipe in it. It was a lot of clunky pipe because they just didn't know how to do it. And every time, like it just stops the story cold, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So the question is, how do you not front load the pipe? Do you have any tips for how to do that? I mean, you yeah. obviously the a character, but if I've got to get this stuff out and I, and I, maybe you don't need to get it out at the front because I, I saw someone do this masterfully where a character was introduced very late in the film and mm. it added this beautiful plot point that tied back to something at the beginning and explained something, but it was intriguing enough that I got through two thirds of the film before this right. mattered. But it's it's rare to see that. It seems like people are just act one is laying down the pipe and getting you set in your uh, world no, and you no, understand no, no. it. And I don't think, no. yeah, no. I think what you teach us is that that's the wrong way to do that. Yeah, because pipe is so boring. All that exposition is boring and you think it's important. You think your character, you need it. And I'm telling you, no, you better figure another way around it because no one wants to hear it. So the, you, could, you could drip it out slowly as the audience needs it, or you could burn through it fast, or you could, uh, there's just a number of ways of doing it, but uh, taking give me, giving me entire scenes of Pipe is not the way to do it. That's going to bore the hell out of everybody. Yeah. No one wants to watch Pipe. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. So those are our, our craft questions for this episode uh, or okay. for this, but we've got breaking in. Uh, one question on this. Christelli Art, what's the best way to get paid to learn? Writer's assistant, how do you get such a competitive job? Yeah, um, well, so writer's assistant is a fantastic way, but it's not an entry-level job uh, uh, because you have to know how to do it. I've talked about this before. I'm not, quali- I, I'm not qualified to be a writer's assistant. I don't really know the ins and outs of the job, even though I've been a showrunner several times. So uh, 
the way you learn how to be a writer's assistant is you start off often as a PA, production assistant, and you hang out with the writer's assistant. You ingratiate yourself and you ask, hey, can I watch you work? And then you you learn how they do it. And then hopefully that writer's assistant falls deathly ill and you take you take uh, you know their job away from them. And that's how you do it. Because then once you're in the writer's room, uh, that's the best way to get paid to learn because you will learn so much that you'll get lost. And so it, it's a long process, but... Um, yeah, that's a wonderful way to do it. Yeah, and, and if you're a writer's PA, we've talked about it on the podcast many times, you you still get to learn. Like you're sitting outside of the room within ear, you know, so, so if they need something, they call you. So you're yeah. sitting outside the room listening to them break the story and tell jokes. And I had this moment where Kevin Heffernan walked in one time and he's just like, and I was still really new. It was maybe a month into me being a writer's assistant. Mm-hmm. So this is the showrunner for people who don't, don't know. And yeah. he's like, How's it going? You watching a lot of shows? And I was like, no. Nope. He's like, man, why not? You're sitting here all day. And I was like, uh, I'm just, I'm just writing. He's like, good for you. And he just walked right. away, right? Because that's what most people do is they get in that room and they sit there and they just watch Netflix or they just, no. they, they do something. But I treated it, and this is probably because of advice you gave me from what you did. Is that is craft time? You're sitting yeah. down, you are writing. So when they're breaking stories, I'm listening to how they're breaking stories. I'm listening to pitch things. When they're not in or somebody's out, then I'm working on my stuff. It's just taking yeah. advantage of every moment. I learned this from my first roommate when I moved out here because you know I had one of these PA jobs and I was not happy with it. And he's like, just think of it like you're getting paid. Because there's a lot of downtime. Think of it like you're getting paid to to learn how to write. And I was like, okay, you're right. You, you're right about that. I, so in that downtime, I just started, you know. I, 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 and then of course you could read scripts. You could talk to writers. You could ask them, why did you make this change? You know what? Uh, you know, you get to talk to people, and they'll give you yeah. little tips, hopefully. Yeah. And by the way, Michael, this is advice. Like you kind of gave me the preamble to this advice, really before I even got to LA. But then there was a moment where you kind of saw, I was like two years in, three years into doing this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you gave me that same advice. Just just look at it as you're getting paid to learn. Like, yeah. I don't know if you could see it in my face or something, but it was like. Well, it's hard. I, I know it's what it was like. It's a, it's a soul's, it can be so frustrating. You're so close to the job you want. Literally, you are three feet away from the job you want. Yeah. And you're and you're there for years, and it's like, when do I get to move up to that other seat that I want to sit in? And it's, so it's, you're, it, I can see it's very. How is it not frustrating? Yeah. But you know, it, that's it. It's just how it is. But it's not individual either. Like I was, like I said, I was just here with Mike Rapp and Kevin, and they're both worse. One has been a script coordinator. The other was a script coordinator who bumped and broke in as a staff writer. Yeah. And they were talking, they'd never met each other. So they're just kind of giving each other the resume. And it's like, yeah, I moved here and I was at Disney working in the parks for four years. And then I met someone who had a, whose husband mm-hmm. was an executive in ABC and he brought me in for the pilot season. And then I got hired as a writer's PA on the Muppets. And I was like, this is it. I'm in because it's the Muppets. It'll never get canceled. And then it got canceled. And then it was hopping yeah. between show to show from different job to different job for you know, seven years until yeah. he finally got the bump. And Mike Rep was not really any different. He moved here and he was in a production company and always dangling the carrot of if we ever get a show, we'll get you in to be, you know, in the writer's room. And six years finally got a show and got the job. And But you know what though? I, I have I've I've been on shows where PAs worked on the show and the PAs have gone to some of the PAs who worked for me uh, one is big in Chuck Lorre's world, so he's like a co-exec, or, or, and he's directed several episodes of uh, Sheldon, uh, or Big Bang, one or the other. And the other one is, um, has done a lot of sunny, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. And another one is co-executive producer of Bob's Burgers. And these are all people who started off as PAs underneath me, okay? And so yeah. that's where they are. So it's like- It's just the process. It's, yeah, it's a process, you gotta hang in there. I was I was thinking on my drive today that you know I went out and had to get some stuff and I drove around and I was like yeah like I think people just think that this stuff is beneath them and you can't have oh. that attitude. I came at it thinking look this is just this is just the path. This is the apprenticeship model. Like I want to learn from these people. Yeah. And you talk about this. People always want to jump further ahead in their careers and become a showrunner and sell their first thing and do that and we all want that cuz that's the dream. But you're kind of like, you kind of don't want that. What oh, you, you don't want, want sure. is to learn how yeah. to do the job. Yeah, because you'll get fired so fast if you don't have to do the job. I, yeah. I was going to answer a post like that on on social media soon, but 
someone had a showrunner question. So I'll, I'll do a post about that soon. Awesome. Cool. A couple questions about the course here. Uh, oh. Tankosaur, do you have a lesson on how to write a French farce? And this is a topic that came up in the webinar. Yes. So maybe define Good what that question. is for people because I don't think that's a term many people know. A farce is like, uh, yeah, like Three's Company did a lot of farces. Frasier did a lot of farces. So it's a, you know, it's a, it's a lot of slamming doors. People over overhearing things, uh, misinterpreting things, and at, you know, only hearing half the conversation and assuming that that person is wants this thing. And it's a lot of doors slamming and mi just people crossing and mis, mis you know, uh, misinformation. It's a lot of fun. And I said in the webinar that I wrote, I wrote for. Um, Joe Keenan, who was one of the Frasier writers, and he created with uh, Chris Lloyd a show called Out of Practice that I wrote on for you know a year. Uh, <clears throat> and Joe is brilliant, brilliant at writing farces. I don't know anybody better. <clears throat> I watched a show, a famous episode of a Frasier, just to study for this. What could I talk about farces? So I watched an episode. I think it was the, I don't know what it's called, the Ski Cabin episode or something. It was very funny. In my opinion, farces are really, they're hard to do well, and they're hard to um, they're hard to sustain. The stakes are always to me they're hard to sustain because the stakes are always uh, it's always about a misunderstanding. So uh, it's always silly, and so it's very very hard in my opinion to really write a really good farce. And um, I wouldn't necessarily start there if that was what your goal is. I'd start writing something a little easier because I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it is hard and they're a little tortured and that's okay, but it's, yeah, I don't know. You're like, you're, you're asking me like, how do I hit a grand slam? Well, let's talk about how they get on base first, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the, the question was, do you have a lesson on how to write a French farce in the course? Yeah, there isn't no. And I thought about after I watched that episode of Frasier, I go, maybe I should do a lesson on that. And then I watched it, I go, no, nah, I don't think you're, I should. I, I think it, I think it personally, I just think it would be a mistake because you're going to send all the hundreds of people in your course down a rabbit hole of writing French farces. Yeah. And they're going to get lost in that, I think. Yeah. And there's no demand for it. And I, like I said, I think it's just don't, don't start there. Yeah. Don't start there. Look, shiny object syndrome, right? We find something yeah. new and that's what we want to do. And then the reality is you got to focus on the fundamentals. That's all yeah. that matters. Yeah. Yeah. Keith Shaw wants to know, is the beat board the unpacking of the crate? And for context, everybody, Michael has this story he's talked about on the podcast and is bring up, brings up in the webinar occasionally about how to unpack a story. And there's this crate of parts, and then it's how you unpack that. And that's how, what a story is. So I don't want to give too much away, but yeah. whatever you want to give away, Michael. Yeah, I mean, so all every writer's room I've ever been has a big whiteboard, and the showrunner will stand at their whiteboard and... We'll start pitching the idea, and then we'll figure out how to break it on the board, figuring out what the act break is, first act break is, second act break, middle of two, top of, like, you lay it out all the parts, and you look at it as a whole, and does it hold together, and then that could take a week, and then you start writing an outline off of the board. So when they say the analogy I talked about unpacking a crate, yeah, that's, it's similar to what the beat board, uh, yeah, a board is, it's, the whiteboard is, it's like, how, what's the order in which we're going to unfold all the, uh, you know, unpack the, the elements of the crate to make to tell an engaging story. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. James Moore, what's the difference between a log line and an outline? Oh, well, a log line is one or two sentences. An outline could be 10 pages if you're talking about a half hour TV show. So that's the difference. Yeah. And log line is you've alluded to you. Everyone needs a log line because if you don't yeah. understand it, you don't know what you're writing. Yeah. And an outline is a step in the writing process. And it typically falls. It's a couple steps after you break a story. Yeah. So in the log line, a lot of people don't know if I ask you, like, what's your story about? And they go, well, it's about this and also about this and also about this. It's like, OK, if you can't explain what your story is in one or two clear succinct sentences if you can't explain your story then you don't understand your own story and if you don't understand it the audience isn't going to understand it so it's really important to tell a really have a clear log line about what your story is about one or two sentences that's it you know simple einstein said it you know if you can't explain something simply chances are you don't understand it yep uh david campbell asked a very similar question about the order i think we answered that so yeah David, that should answer that question for you. 
JY Tao, does the course teach you how to get your work produced? Oh, no. And a matter of fact, the, uh, that's not, that shouldn't be the goal. The goal, the course teaches you how to write a great script. And that's the only thing you have control over here. Most people skip, want to skip that step. This guy's asking me, does the course teach me how to, does, will the course teach me how to become a millionaire? No, the course doesn't teach you that. Does the course teach you how to give an acceptance speech at the Oscars? No, it won't teach you that. The course, te- you know, all that is, look, that comes later, hopefully. The course will teach you how to write a good script, that, or hopefully a great script. And everyone skips that step. They assume they already have it. And I'm here to tell you, you don't. Uh, and, you know, maybe you're the 1% that does great. But 99% of the people think they're in that 1%. And so, uh, you know. And most people who go through the course say, oh, thank God, I, I wish, I, I have to go, I know now I have to go back and rewrite that script because I thought it was great and now I realize it's not. So, uh, you know. Amen. I'm one of those people, right? Yeah. And, and this is a bit of the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is this moment where you learn a little bit of something and you think you're an expert in it. Yeah. And then the more you learn, you realize there's a lot to learn. And then there's a certain point where you know more than you think you know. And Michael, you know, even at your level, I hear you say this sometimes, like, I'm not as good as that guy. Or I'm not that. And that may mm-hmm. be factually true, like in terms of talent. But it's also like that's the humility of being an expert is knowing how little you know in the space. That's another thing is like if you were to ask almost any showrunner I've worked with or worked for, they'll all tell you, oh, writing is so hard. It's the people who don't, who are just starting out, who will tell you, hey, I'm good at this. It's like, and it's because you don't know what you don't know yet. And the more you yeah. do it, and, then, and now I'm at the point where I'll look at something, I'm like, oh God, I'm starting to unravel. Like, uh, yeah. you know, and I have to trust myself because it's like, <laughs> is this the best way to tell the story? Maybe there's a better way. That, you know? That's no different than my career in digital marketing though. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm at the point where I can say I'm an expert. I've been doing it for how many years, you know, over a decade, but there's plenty of time still where I'm like, oh man, I don't know, is this going to work? And then you have to just yeah. kind of go back and say, there is a pattern and a history here of results that back up what I think I need to do. And I just have to go with that. Yeah. Because right? yeah. a million different caveats and details you got to pay attention to in all of this. And Michael, mm-hmm. by the way, like this is a, a big thing you helped me with was just focusing on the detail. Like, stop being yeah. so. I don't want to call it lazy writing because there's so much time and energy that goes into it, but it's the passing over the detail, and the detail is the, the devil. It's in the detail. Yeah, right? yeah. The little things stand out. Hey, it's Michael Jammin. If you like my content, and I know you do because you're listening to me, I will email it to you for free. Just join my watch list. Every Friday, I send out my top three videos of the week. These are for writers, actors, creative types, people like you. You can unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm not going to spam you. And the price is free. You got no excuse. To join, go to michaeljammin.com slash watchlist. And now back to what the hell is Michael Jammin talking about? Mishu Pizza. So if we take the course, do we get certified? No. Uh... Phil has tried to convince me to offer certification. I think there's a good certification. I want to be clear. It's right. a type of type of certification. We'll explain after yours. So, so here, here's the thing. If I were, I have said over and over again that the deg- if you got a degree in screenwriting, an MFA in screenwriting or certificate, whatever, the degree itself is worthless. You're not going to go into a meeting with a, and you flash your degree. When I go into a meeting, I don't even talk about my college education. No one cares. No one cares where I went to college. It doesn't come up. All they care is, can I put words on the page that compel people to turn the page? And the fight you got into with your wife the previous day, right? Because that's story. Oh, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the degree, if I offered a degree, I'd be, I think I'd be hypocritical. Hey, I have a degree from Michael Jammin University or whatever the hell it is. Uh, so, so I know, I know some people want that, but I feel like, again, it's not, that's not going to open doors. Your script's going to open doors. And if I can teach you how to write a great script, that's more important than a gold star for me. My pitch was for everybody was that Michael put out a certificate. So when you complete the course, you get right. one that says, congrats, here's your fancy certificate. It's worthless. Go write something good. Go write something. Yeah, we could do yeah. something like that. That I thought would be kind of just, right. mwah, just chef's, right. chef, chef's, chef's kiss on the whole thing. 
Desmond Bailey question. Do you build this story? I wonder if his name's Desmond Bailey question or if this is just Desmond Bailey has a question. Do you build the story world first and then inject the characters or focus on characters and let the world uh, procedurally generate as they navigate it? So I I spoke about this, though, in the webinar, so I feel like he probably was jumping the gun. I think it's a good question. I think it's worth, yeah. Well, I, I, I answered it, and I basically say you do it at the same time, and I think about what the world is first and who are the best characters to put in this world or or as i've said in in the webinar who's the worst character to put in this situation and if you want to know what i mean by that you're going to have to come to the next webinar where i talk about character but that's the way i look at it who's the worst person to put in this situation yeah there you go Alec Cuddleback. My stuff is usually story-driven, and people criticize preferring character-driven. Why is that? Oh, because plot is boring. Okay, I'll, I'll, who, what's this person's name? Alec Cuddleback. Alec. All right, Alec. Okay, so I hope you I don't know if you're young or old, but there's a movie called Rocky starring Sylvester Stallone. The first Rocky was fantastic. Uh, it won the Oscar. Put Sylvester Stallone on the map. After they did Rocky, they did eight more Rocky eight, like more. I don't know how many Rockies they did, including Creed and Creed one and Creed two or whatever. They've made uh, countless sequels to Rocky. All, every single Rocky has the same exact plot. You put someone in the in a in a boxing ring and they get the shit kicked out of them, and then maybe at the end they're they're alive. So the plot itself for Rocky, most of the Rockies are not considered great. Only one won the Oscar. And that was the first one, even though the plot is virtually identical. So the difference between Rocky one and Rocky a hundred is the story. One had a just an amazingly compelling small story, and the other ones lacked that. And so uh, what this guy's talk, Alec is talking about, is it sounds like he's just got I got a lot of plot. Well, who cares? It's, the plot is not the good stuff. I mean, you got to have a good plot, but it's the story is that make, the story is what makes people cry. And if you want to know the difference between plot and story, you have to come to my next free webinar because I talk. It's an hour long discussion. So, yep. Yeah. Excellent. Cameron Billingsley, how do you know you have drawn out the anticipation enough? Like when you're building anticipation for in your yeah. storytelling. Well, I wonder if the person's talking about any kind of reveal, or I guess we don't really know. I think know. this was specifically tying back to the, the crate, unpacking the crate. Oh, okay. Well, how do you know? It's like, you ha- these moments have to be built to. Anytime you have a big reveal or a moment in act three, whatever it is, the big fight scene, the, the, the fight scene in Rocky or whatever, it ha- you have to build to it. And it's literally like putting the steps on a pyramid and then you get to the top. And then if you skip a step, or if each step doesn't build, you're not gonna get to the top of that pyramid. And the top is the view, the top is everything. And so how do you know? Well, that, that's, that's the process of writing is, is, um, is, is taking your audio, like how do you know when you've built the anticipation? That's, that's all of it. Like when you, so if I were to write Rocky, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm building to the moment when Rocky, at the end, when Rocky's getting the shit kicked out of him, boom, time after time again by Apollo, and he keeps getting up and he keeps getting up. And I wanna build that last moment where they're both down on the mat or, or what, I don't even remember which, which Rocky it was, but when Rocky's, the, the fight's almost over and Rocky's on the mat and he stands up again. He just, this guy won't go down. And that is, well, even thinking about it, I get chills, but you have to build to that. Yeah. That's what you're building to, which is a guy who will not quit. And why is it so important when we talked about earlier in this podcast, it's not that the stakes of Rocky are not about, will Rocky win the fight? Who cares? Will Rocky win the competition, the contest? Who cares? No one cares if he wins. The, the stakes are, will Rocky finally feel like he's not a loser? Will he finally feel like he's not a bum? And that's something, that's something all of us can relate to, is that feeling, that self-worth. And so, you have to build to that. Mm-hmm. How do you know? Well, that's that's everything. That's you know, that's what yep. you focus on. And if and if that if your story, if your scene does not help, if your scene does not add one step on that pyramid, then to build to that final moment, then why are you have it in there? Why is it in the, the script? 
The next question from Willow is, how do you know the difference between true story that should be included versus minutia and unnecessary information? I think you just answered that. Yeah, because if it's not, if you don't need it, why is it in it? Why is it in there? So tying all this together, right, for, for people who are newer and, you know, good recap for me, because again, you got to remind yourself of the, the fundamentals every day. You even talk about how you have to remind yourself, oh yeah, this mm -hmm. is hero, obstacle, goal, like kind of that mm -hmm. stuff. <clears throat> so we have a log line and the log line helps me understand what I'm trying to accomplish with this story. But that's typically based off of a theme and that theme, my opinion, generally included inside of that log line so that I understand this is what I'm trying to accomplish with this. Mm -hmm. So the log line for Rocky is, can a bum from Philly go the distance with the champ? It's not even can he beat the champ. It's can he go the distance. Yeah. And so right. he, everyone tells him he can't. He doesn't think he can. And then at the end, there's that moment when he gets up, you're talking about, and Apollo Creed's like, soul is taken. Like, are you kidding me? He's still yeah. getting up. This guy won't get down. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that's the moment where it's like, that's him getting up. And then he, Apollo wins. And he's like, I did it. And it's like a victory for him because this guy won't stop. And everyone's celebrating Rocky. And Rocky goes, Adrian, I did it. Right? Yeah. And I think the last line, Apollo says, there ain't going to be no meet a rematch. And Rocky goes, don't want one. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> he doesn't want it. He got what he wanted. And of course, you know, they made 10 more. But um, but, but yeah, they, what a but beautiful they all story. Stack and build. Like all of these details build, right. like you said, you're building them to this, and all of them play off the theme and the log line. And that's why all yeah. of these details, breaking the story, outlining the story, they all have to be there. Because mm -hmm. if you're just, and, you know, we talk about how all these writers have different styles, and for some people, it's making it up as you go. But professional writers, there's a process. You break the story and you do your thing, and then you do your outline, and you do all these things. And then you do your rewrites and many rewrites because you're still figuring out those tiny details. But it's not like, I'm going to make it up as I go because you need plant and payoff. You need these things and these symbols almost that, al that allude to the theme and the theme plays throughout the whole thing. And if you're mm -hmm. not structuring that like an architect, it's going to feel very hodgepodge Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. as you, and that's a note you gave me, Frankenstein together. Yeah. Yeah. So right. there you go. People are going to be pissed I talked to you like, well, that long on your podcast, Michael. I'd say no, no, no. Um, no, no, no. A couple more questions here. Yeah. Justin had another question. For short comedy films on YouTube, the max length is one minute. That's sh shorts. That's for shorts. Clarify. Okay. Yeah. Does short structure still apply to any length film? Curious how you would approach writing a story for a one-minute film. This is a format format question for people who are not in the know. Um, YouTube stories are the equivalent of like Instagram reels or Facebook reels. YouTube shorts. Like YouTube shorts. Right. Yeah. And they are, excuse me, yeah, they're, so they're, they're 60 seconds. And then to I think they're the 90, feet, but you're saying they're that's, 60. That's Instagram. Instagram. It is expanded to 90, but YouTube is 60. And that's what this is referring to, which is a yeah. medium on YouTube, not necessarily a cap on what you can put on YouTube. Yeah. So I would say, I would say be, it's really hard to tell a complete story in 60 seconds, but you could tell one part of a story in 60 seconds and then another part, another 60 seconds. Like, you know, you, you could stretch it out. You could tell, you might be able to tell a compelling scene in 60 seconds and a scene should have, should, it should have a, a shape to it. But I don't think, can it be done? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it could be done that well. Like I don't, like I don't think anyone's going to be that satisfied. I, I think, I think you need more time to get that plane up in the air and land it. I mean, like, but think about it like this: like, if a story is a journey, how far can you go in sixty seconds on a journey? Not very far at all. You can go to the end of the block. The view at the end of the block is pretty much the same as the view from my house. So, uh, I think you need more time. This is my opinion, though. Yeah. To see good shorts that you've recommended to me was go back and watch the Broad City original shorts that were put on YouTube. Okay. And, and How long are they? They can be, you know, 90 seconds to three minutes, but they're not right. full stories necessarily. Yeah. They're more kind of skits and you introduce your characters and we learn more about them and more interactions in different episodes of that. So it's really I never saw those. I saw the TV show Broad City, which I love, but okay. I, didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't watch the shorts. Got it. Um, 
Someone had a question. Again, these are miscellaneous. Someone wanted, wanted to know when they could see your CNN interview. So the day we did this webinar, you had just gotten off with CNN and joined the thing. But yeah, you've been on CNN a couple times now, right? Yeah, you can. I think you can go to my website, Phil. Right? Isn't it up yep. there? It'll be okay. live. So it's Michael Jammin, and then you can just go to the About tab, and you'll see. Is it, it on the About? I thought it was going to be on the it's, it's press, press or something. It's Press tab. Yeah, but we okay. don't have the URL final right now. But by the time this comes out, it'll be out because we're okay. doing some cleanup. Redesign on michaeljammin.com. Oh, it's Phil's doing a great job. It's going to be exciting. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, Jill Hargrave. She in the course? Oh, oh, oh wait, hold on. <laughs> if anybody wants their website redesigned, go check out Rook Digital, which is <laughs> which is Phil's company. This is what he does. Yeah. Shameless plug. Thank you, Michael. Uh, yeah. Appreciate that. Jill Hargrave. She's in the course, right? Jill. I don't know. I believe she is. Yeah. If you're writing a biopic, okay. does the story definition apply as the story is at least one event in the person's life and sometimes many more events than just one? So uh, if you're writing what, a biopic, does yeah. the story definition apply um, as the, I'm, I'm guessing is like, is a, is a biopic, is it the whole person's life or is it a moment in this person's life? I, don't, I mean, it, uh, you know, I don't know. It's kind of what you decide to write it about. Uh, I would assume, yeah, it's, it's, it's what you want to decide. If you're, I've seen it both ways. You might write about, you know, JFK, the early years, you know, and maybe you're following his life from, uh, in, in, col in college, in Harvard, I think, right? Uh, and that, that could be a whole thing, or you could tell JFK's entire life story up until the moment he died. I mean, you could do that as well. But um, either way, you have to know how, and I talked about this as well, um, I, I spoke about, go, I, I, really, I really hope people come to this, this next webinar. I, I use an example of Amadeus, which is, in my opinion, the best biopic ever made. It's a beautiful movie. It's probably three hours long. There's an intermission. <laughs> There's mm. an intermission fucking movie. That's how long it is. Um, and it's my it's wife's amazing. favorite movie, by the way. Is it? Yeah. Is it? She, uh, wants to she wants me to name one of our children Wolfgang. And I was like, come on, man. Wolfgang Hudson? I don't know. Well, I don't know. I, I don't know. I kind of... I'm I'm on her side. <laughs> I'll let her know. She'll be pumped. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I, I spoke about that. About come listen to. I hope they come to the webinar. Well, she did. She heard it where I talk, spoke about. Yeah. You're still just telling one aspect of his life of Wolfgang Mozart's life. You're not here. You're not. He, there's a lot they left out. Is the guy lived long? You know, I don't know how long he lived, but. The movie's three hours, and he, the guy lived long, longer than three hours. So uh, there's a lot they left out. They only just followed this one, one thread on, of his life, and that's how you tell a story. Yeah. So don't tell. In other words, don't tell. The, I feel like you don't want to tell the story, someone's life story. You want to tell one story from their life. Mm -hmm. And Oppenheimer, I think, is the very current version of that that did a great job. It is. Mm -hmm building up to help us understand why this person was uniquely put in this position, yeah. why it was taken from him, and then how ultimately he got justice without yeah. having to, because of his character. Yeah, and there's a lot they left out, and I'm Tons. sure, and I think they got some criticism for that, but what are you gonna do? You can't tell everything, it's, you yeah. know, you have to pick a story. Yep, uh, yeah, adaptation, right? It's a whole different segment of screenwriting that is yeah. brutal absolutely brutal because you're just cutting things and combining things and you just it's just a different part of the world helga g how do you deal with the other characters in your life that might not be comf com comfortable being in your story you don't put them in yeah. you don't put them in it's not it's not your story to tell i'm actually reading a i'm just about to finish a wonderful book by uh this canadian author sheila hetty and uh, and it's how should a, it's called how should a person be? And she, in this book, which is an autofiction, so it's a true story, she uses some of her friends as characters in the story, and she talks about the blowback she got from that, uh, which is so interesting. I'm, and I'm going to have her on my podcast soon. Um, uh, so I, but I, I don't do it for that reason. I don't uh, I don't do it exactly for that reason. But I'll talk to her about it. Yeah, awesome. Last question, Rob Cow, CAO. Maybe Chow, I don't know. Is that Italian? CAO? Because it's like well, CIAO. CIAO. Yeah. 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 So, sorry, Rob, ruining your name. Within the last year, I've had an idea of writing a script with two specific actresses in mind. What do you recommend that I do? Well, they're not going to do it. Just know that, right? I mean, I write for actors all the time. It's, it's, not, it's just for some having someone in my mind. 
uh, as a, as a you know placeholder. But I don't think if they're any if they're famous, unless they're the people you know actors in your your apartment complex, then that's fine. They're going to be in your movie. That's fine. But if you think if it's a star, they're they're not going to they're not going to do it. So use them as a placeholder, as a template to give you as a muse. You know, well, I do that as well. But I don't. I don't think I've ever written a role for someone and they actually wound up taking it. So Yeah. In the Tacoma FD spec that I wrote, I I alluded to a famous actor who plays this type of person. I was like, just think this person. And the comment I got back was, oh, that was so helpful. And I know you have to be a bit careful with that because you don't want to like, um, it can de- derail your script a bit. Actually, but. I should, I want to take that back. We wrote an episode of Marin that we, we wrote it with Chet Hanks in mind, who's Tom Hanks' son. <laughs> and we reached out to him and he took it. And I gotta say, the guy killed it. He killed it. Awesome. <laughs> uh, he was perfect and uh, a really good actor. So That's awesome. And if you guys haven't seen Marin, go watch Marin. That show's incredible. That show's like, fun, yeah. The, is there anywhere to go see the hidden, the, like the, because there were two pilots, right? There was like the first pilot and then a. Well, it was pilot. a presentation, so it was only a few scenes. Got it. I don't know if I have it. I don't, yeah. I thought it was like on Prime. I think I got it on Prime originally. Uh, wow. That was part I'm of what they were doing. Um, uh-huh. I'll go check. I'll see if I still have it. But yeah, that, it was, it was, it's just a great show. Just masterful yeah, cool. show. And it was, I was at an influential time when I was just really learning this stuff at a, at a mm-hmm. deeper level. So just seeing it play out in really tight scenes with limited characters and just amazing. Yeah. Amazing That's what was so fun about that. And we, um, it, it, you know, I tried, we wrote some one episode where there wasn't enough of a stakes. And uh, it was the one on um, uh, Dead Possum. Where he finds yeah, a dead possum love, under I his love house. That episode—that's the one I think of every time. That was a good one, but the original draft didn't have the storyline of him uh, apologizing to his dying stepfather—not uh, uh, stepfather, his dying father-in-law. It was missing from that, and we turned that draft into the network, and they thought <laughs> she was like, "This is there's nothing here. There's nothing. The story's not about anything." And I'm like, "Don't you get it? That's that's the whole thing." <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to pull a fast one on her. I was like, but that it's like waiting for Godot. It's like, it's like, she's like, nah, I'm not buying it. The studio exec, and she was right. And so we wound up talking, Sievert and I, by part of, we wound up talking about it. And we came up with this storyline where Mark was afraid, when Mark was afraid to go under the house to, to get a dead possum, like that's just not enough. There's not enough there. It's not enough to better to, for, for an A story. And so, um, Instead, we had a, cur- or a concurrent storyline where he was afraid to confront his dying father-in-law because Mark broke up with his, his daughter. And in so doing, you know, he kind of destroyed, he, he was a, Mark was a coward. He didn't want to apologize to his father, uh, father-in-law for that. And so when Mark was, a, it was really, um, you know, a symbol. So Mark didn't want to, when Mark was afraid to go into the house to get the dead possum, what he was really afraid of was was apologizing to his father-in-law. That, those stakes are much higher. Yeah. And so those stories kind of work really nicely together, but that was not in the original draft. Yeah, that's a great episode. There's one of the funniest, one of the biggest laughs I've ever had. I think it was like your, might've been your end of act two, your act two, bottom of act two with the kid from- well, uh, what? Oh, when he says, well, yeah, I was like, I was, said, uh, I was, I was, I was molested. molested. <laughs> I think that was, I think that was Sievert's line. <laughs> it's oh just like, God. what? What? <laughs> uh, not, not making light of that yeah. in any degree. It's just the context of it, the setting. Yeah. It was uh, like, you, and, you shouldn't have said that. That's, that's yeah. funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Michael, there you yeah. go. There's a bonus episode for everybody. Yeah, it's not, we're not making light of it. It was just that he, the guy confessed to having having been molested as a kid, but it was like, no, we weren't talking about any of this. It's like, it's like, and then they have to talk and like, he's having yeah. this like breakdown or his realization <laughs> of like, he's a coward. And then now he has to like, be like a surrogate father and like, listen to this kid. Yeah. He's like talking about his assistant. <laughs> and it's just like, the timing is just excellent. You yeah. guys handled it well. It's it's not disparaging or, or mean spirited yeah. at all. It's just great. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was a funny one. 
All right, everyone. Yeah, go, come to my webinar. Go watch that episode of Marin, Dead Possum. Awesome. If you can find, if you can find it somewhere. Uh, Michael, anything you want these guys to do other than come to the webinar? Uh, there's that. Uh, I'll be dropping my book soon. Ooh, yep. a paper orchestra. Uh, if you want to know more about that, that's um, michaeljammett.com/book. Oh, is that what it is? It'll be book. book. Okay, there, there great. are a couple pages because you got like a paperwork you're touring, you've got an events mm -hmm. page, you got this. So I figured that was the easiest way to get people to the page is michaeljam.com yeah. slash book. And so the book is a collection of personal essays if you want to learn more about like what it's like to actually be a writer in Hollywood. But that's not what it's about. It's a really about uh, the, the premise is what if the smallest, almost forgotten moments were the ones that shaped us most. And so and in the end, I have a little bonus section of the book where I talk about so I, I performed the book as well. Uh, and if you want to come see that, see me on the road, go to michaeljammon.com slash upcoming. And at the end of every performance, I do a talk back where I talk to the audience and they ask questions. And so at the, I decided at the, at the end of the book, there should be something like that where I talk about, it's basically a virtual talk back, right? I, I'm preemptively answering questions that people have asked me that I think people found interesting about the writing process. So that'll be in the book as well. So a, a little bonus for those of you who are who are, are interested in learning about writing that'll be the last chapter yeah great yeah. and in the live performance still great I mean, it was almost a year i can't believe that was almost a year ago I saw yeah that, and it still sits with me as a father it still sits with me so yeah thank you um yeah i, I want to start performing again that'll hopefully start in february or march or whatever uh once that book is out we'll start performing again great yeah cool all right michael thank you else I think that's it. Get on the newsletter. We're re 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 revamping the newsletter. We've revamped the podcast. So there's more stuff, but better. Yeah. More better, and better. streamlined, a little bit easier yeah. to get around. Um, it kind of outgrew itself. So we yeah. talked about that on episode 104. But yeah, but that was, know, we didn't know, we, we didn't know what this was going to turn into. So we yeah. had to evolve it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's a good spot. Great to be back on the podcast, Michael. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Phil. All right. Okay. Until every next time, keep writing, everyone. So now we all know what the hell Michael Jammon's talking about. If you're interested in learning more about writing, make sure you register for my free monthly webinars at michaeljammon.com slash webinar. And if you found this podcast helpful or entertaining, please share it with a friend and consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. That really, really helps. For more of this, whatever the hell this is, follow Michael Jammon on social media at Michael Jammon Writer. And you can follow Phil Hudson on social media at Phil A. Hudson. This podcast was produced by Phil Hudson. It was edited by Dallas Crane. And music was composed by Anthony Rizzo. And remember, you can have excuses or you can have a creative life. But you can't have both. See you next week. <laughs>